If you would please turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to ask you a question before we read the scripture in four different translations. I'm going to ask you a question, class. Are you awake today? I want to ask you a question. What comes first? Being good or being blessed? I want to ask you a question. What comes first? Being good and then the blessings? Or being blessed and then the goodness? Okay, I want to ask the question one more time. What comes first? Being good and then being blessed? Or being blessed and then being good? Now we're going to read this scripture. I'm going to let you answer that after you read this scripture. Uh, Looks like somebody's child is winning in the children's church. So you might want to go help them if they're winning. 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, brother. I wonder whose child that is. Hmm. (laughs) 2 Peter chapter 1. New Living Translation, first of all. Notice up here, Peter's writing to the church. He said, look at this, And because of God's glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and enable you to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now remember the question, what comes first, being good or being blessed? So go to the next translation, uh, the New Century Version. The New Century Version says, Through these exceeding great and precious promises, He gave us the very great and precious promises. With these gifts or promises, you can share in God's nature, and the world will not ruin you with its evil desires. All right, let's look here out of the J.B. Phillips. It is through him that God, through Jesus, that God's greatest and most precious promises have become available to us men, making it possible. These promises that we have make it possible for you to escape the inevitable disintegration that lust produces in the world and to share in God's essential nature. One more. Good news translation. In this way, He has given us the very great and precious gifts He promised, so that by means of these gifts, you may escape from the destructive lust that is in the world and may come to share in the divine nature. So what do you think it is then? Is it we're good and we get blessed? Or we get blessed... And that empowers us to be good. Did you ever think about having to receive the promises so you can live like you're supposed to live? See, receiving the promises of God is not optional if you want to live the way He wants you to live. He knows we can't live up to what He told us without His help. Are you following me? It needs to be numero uno priority 
to receive what He's promised us, what we receive, the blessings and the gifts that He's made available to us. Because that's how we're going to overcome. It's not we overcome and we get blessed. There's a part of it to that. Revelation talks about it. But this scripture says you get blessed and then you overcome. Hmm. So how do you get blessed when you don't deserve it? How do you get blessed when you're not good enough to earn it? That's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes. The Lord... He wants us to quit struggling so much and start relying on a thing called His mercy. Did you know that you don't even qualify for mercy unless you don't deserve His help? <laughs> now, I'm not saying go out there and be undeserving, but we've already done enough to be undeserving. Right? As a matter of fact, um, look at Romans 11.32. I'm going to jump ahead here. Romans chapter 11 and verse 32. I thought this was very interesting scripture here. Verse 32. Romans 11.32. For God has concluded that everybody in unbelief, so that he might have mercy upon all, God had to figure out a way to help us and bless us in such a way. God had to figure out a way to help us in our imperfections. God had to figure out a way how to get us His blessings without us being able to qualify for them. And the way is mercy. Now, I found out that people that are really, really good have a hard time humbling themselves and receiving God's mercy. One thing you've got to watch out, if you're a really, really good person, you've got to watch out about trusting in your goodness to save you. Did you know that the good people can very easily end up in hell? Because it's not good people by their good works that go to heaven. It's saved people that go to heaven. Now, once you're saved... Yeah, your works are going to get better and better and better. But that's not what saves you. Works are not a means of salvation. They are a result of salvation. And that's what people need to realize. Good works alone will not save anybody. And a lot of people need saved from their badness. I was kind of in that zone before I was saved. I was kind of a bad guy. Did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. So I got saved from my badness. But there's a lot of people who need saved from their goodness. Trusting in their goodness as why God's going to let them in heaven or why God's going to heal them or why God's going to deliver them. We all, if you want a quick healing, throw yourself completely on the mercy of God for your healing. If you want a quick healing. Just humble yourself. See, and again, it's, some people just don't want to admit that I need the mercy of the Lord. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a good guy. I'm a, I'm a good person. That's how you hinder the help of the Lord in your life. Do good. Be good. But don't trust in your goodness as the reason God can give you what you need. This is by grace. This is through faith. This is a mercy issue. This is a compassion issue. This is a love of God issue. And if you want a quick healing... 
throw yourself on the mercy of God for what you need. All right, I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures before we're done tonight, but let's look here in verse, uh, excuse me, where did I say go to? Hmm? Where? Where are we going? Uh-huh. Where do you want to go now? Go to Romans 12.1. Just bounce over to Romans 12.1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Paul said, now look here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I missed a very important phrase in there. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies, plural, of God. There is a mercy that will help you to live right. What comes first? Living right? And then the mercy? Or the mercy and then living right. This scripture says we need the help of one of the mercies of God to break habits, live free, and live right. Do you ever think about trusting in God's mercy not only to forgive you, but to help you to be faithful? Do you ever think about trusting in the mercy of God not only to forgive you for unfaithfulness, but to help you to be faithful? Do you know why, you know why it looks like God loves some people more than others? He doesn't. He's no respecter of persons. Some people have learned to trust in His mercy more than others. It's always amazed me how one person falls flat on their face in a certain area, gets totally restored. Another person falls flat on their face in the same area, they don't get any restoration. Why? It's not God. One of those people decided to say, You know what, Lord? I believe you're merciful. I humble myself. You're good. You're merciful. You delight in mercy. I repent. I, I'm going to be honest. I need your mercy. And the other one, for one reason or another, didn't do that. Some people think, well, God didn't come through for them, but He came through for them. That's not what you should be thinking. God comes through for everybody who believes in Him. You know, Let me tell you something. A lot of people go down in life after committing the greatest mistakes of their life? You ready? You want to know why? You want to know why some people go down? You want to know why a lot of people go down? After committing the greatest mistakes of their life? You want to know why? Because they believe they have to. Not because they have to. I'm going to say that again. A lot of people go down in life after the greatest mistakes of their life because they believe they have to. And you go the direction of your faith. They go down because they believe they have to. Oh, I'm just no good, and I'm just disqualified, and I can never be restored, and I'll never have honor. And I have a good news for people. You could be the most dishonorable person in this valley, and that honor can be totally restored to you in a short, short amount of time. Hmm? I thought it was interesting it said that, you know, David, he messed up bad. I mean, he, two of the biggest sins we know is he committed adultery, stole another man's wife, and, and committed murder of one of his own men, his own soldiers that was fighting for him. Put him on the front line knowing he was going to get killed because he wanted his wife. And that's not all the sins David committed. He said, the sins, the sins I've committed are more than the hairs of my head that I can't even look up at times. But you know what it said about David at the end of his life? David, this guy that made all these mistakes, which we can all relate to, right? 
He died a good old age, full of days, full of riches, and full of honor. Honor can be restored. Did you know that Paul told Timothy that in a large house there are not only vessels of gold, but there's vessels of silver, vessels of wood, vessels of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And then Paul said, if any man purge himself of these dishonoring things, he will be a vessel of honor again. Sanctified meat for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The Bible said a good man falls seven times but gets back up. In other words, they repent. They don't go, oh, I was just born this way. I mean, we need to give our generation a revelation. That rhymed, didn't it? We need to give our generation a revelation. You know what it is? It hurts to live right in this sin-infested world. Don't think it's strange that you have to resist your own feelings and your own personality and your own desires. Well, I just—I just—I was born this way. No, resist that if it's wrong. Resist it if it's wrong. Come on, Jesus, our example, resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We can do a little resisting, right? He resisted unto blood, saying no to what was coming against him. He didn't accept and go, well, I guess this is just who I am. I guess I was born this way. I'm going to go my way because, you know. And some people even do it in the name of the Lord. Well, the Lord loves me and he doesn't want me fighting. Yes, he does want you fighting. You want to be a, a strong, on-fire Christian? You're going to have to adopt the same attitude that Paul had. You know what his attitude was? I go through death every day of my life. I die Daily, he said. He constantly had things tugging on him, pulling him to go a route that was easier. Can I give you a revelation, a scripture revelation? That might, I'm just going to quote it. It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. You don't have to find it. It says that we are called not only to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which we're big on faith, Faith Heights Church. Same verse says, but we're also called to suffer. For his sake. Not sickness, not disease, but in this area of I want to go this way, I'm being pulled to go this way, but God says, go this way. And there's times you have to die to your emotions, you have to die to your desires, you have to die to your feelings and say, I love God more than that. Paul said in the last days there would be a group of Christians who loved God, but he said they would love pleasure more than God. How many know it hurts sometimes to say no to some stuff that you know is not the will of God? Especially if you've been entangled with addictions. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Better to enter into life halt and maimed than to hellfire with all your members. And what he was saying, he wasn't saying get a knife and cut your hand off, but he was saying this. Some people, it's going to hurt just as bad to cut something off to avoid some worse tragedy in the future. 
In other words, there's something coming you're going to wish you would have cut your hand off if you don't get victory over certain things. That's important words. I mean, that's... There's... The Bible says Jesus suffered being tempted. That's one of the areas we suffer in. Hmm? The Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we'll talk about that more some other time. Because I, there's a whole series building in me about understanding suffering and, and how to make it through tough times and, and how to get to the top. And um, I, was, I was actually praying about this recently in my office. And, I, and I was, the Lord said, ask this question. Uh, how can I go higher, Lord? He said, well, how much more do you want to suffer? Because going higher is not a flow. <laughs> Are you following me? A lot of times it's, if I deal with this, I'll go to the next level. If I deal with this, you say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? I thought you just said it's the promises and then good. This all connected. Wait, wait till you hear some of these scriptures I'm going to share with you. But I want to say this to you, church. It's not all hunky-dory if you're going to do it right. You know what I mean by that? It's not all a flowery bed of ease. But there's power and there's grace and there's mercy to do all that he wants us to do. People are trying to do this stuff in their own power. Why? When there's mercy. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. This is a very interesting scripture. Verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Paul's talking here. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Paul said, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I get... He's talking about marital issues here and being single, being married. He says, Yet I give my judgment... Paul said, I'm going to give you my judgment as one, I'm one, that I have obtained mercy of the Lord to be something. Mercy, Paul said, I obtained mercy from the Lord to be faithful. Ever think about trusting in the mercy of God to be faithful? We've all thought about trusting in the mercy of God to be forgiven for unfaithfulness. Do you ever think about trusting in the mercy of the Lord to be more faithful? It's kind of like grace. Grace is empowerment. Mercy is empowerment. It's not just bailout. It's empowerment. Mercy. Anybody interested in mercy to be more faithful? It's there. It's hovering. People got to reach up and take it. Mercy is not enforced on us. It has to be received. Yeah. And you're not going to receive it if you don't know it's there. That's right. Did you know right now over you is all the mercy you'll ever need in this life? Yeah. The Bible says in Psalm 145 that the Lord is gracious and of great mercy. His tender mercies are over all His works. A lot of people don't take the mercy that's over them because they're always looking down and thinking about all their mistakes. And they're not trusting the mercy of God to do great things. They're feeling like they're washed up and they'll never do anything great anymore. You've got to look up and go, uh-uh, there's mercy. We are His workmanship. His mercies are over all His works. You're not going to get any mercy like this. It's up here. You've got to go, thank you, Lord. And I found this out. It's hard to believe in such things if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the things I'm talking to you about now are beyond natural thinking. 
Most people, even in churches today, do not believe in high-level restoration that we're talking about tonight. Here's the good news. If Manasseh can be restored, oh my goodness. Old Testament. King totally messed up. I mean, he was a bad, bad guy. Caused children to pass through the fire. Used enchantments and witchcraft. Ended up in affliction. Obviously, you live like that, you're going to open the door to the devil and demons. Ends up in affliction in the enemy's camp. And the Bible says Manasseh humbled himself greatly before the Lord. And lo and behold, the Lord had mercy on him, got him out of affliction, got him back to his kingdom, and he lived out his life. One of the most amazing stories of restoration in the entire Bible, Manasseh. Ahab was was just as bad, and he didn't get everything Manasseh got. And I thought, wow, you can go so low and then get back to so high if you just humble yourself greatly, trust in the mercy of God. The Bible talks about the mercy of God reaching to the lowest hell. You can't get any lower than the lowest hell. <laughs> and then I asked myself, well, why did Saul not get restored, but David got totally restored? He did just as bad as Saul. Why did Nineveh get spared and Jonah didn't? Why did Judas go his direction and Peter go his direction? Very similar mistakes in all these situations. One got restored, one got destroyed. And it wasn't because God wanted it that way. Somebody had enough guts to believe God's mercy can get me out of this. And somebody, for some reason, didn't have enough guts and just thought, well, this is my lot in life. And Judas hung himself. Saul basically committed suicide on the battlefield. Mercy. Now, let me show you this connection with healing, and we'll close, because I want to lay hands on some of you tonight before you go. Look with me. Did you see that there? Mercy to be faithful. Go to Luke chapter 5. In verse 17. Luke 5.17. Alright, Jesus is having a meeting. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. Jesus was teaching. There were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. Which were come out of every town of Galilee. And Judea and Jerusalem. Pharisees and doctors. And the power of the Lord was present to heal these Pharisees and doctors. Now church, think about this. If you read the next couple of verses, the Pharisees and the doctors were there to criticize Jesus. They were there to put Him down. They were there to find fault. And the power of the Lord was present to heal these buzzards. Think about that. The power of the Lord was present to heal criticizers of the Lord. What's that called? Mercy. Is that amazing? That, that scripture blows me away because God wanted to heal these guys knowing that they were coming against His Son. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're critical and you're like these guys were, there was some sickness in their lives. You can't be critical that long and not have some kind of sickness show up in your life because it opens the door to the enemy. Um, let me just say this. Jesus meets ten lepers one day. and You'll find this in Luke 17. You don't have to turn there. Ten lepers come to Him and Jesus sees them afar off, incurable diseases, and says to these guys, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. 
one of these lepers, ex-lepers, came back, fell down, worshipped Jesus, and said, Lord, thank you so much for healing me of leprosy. And the Lord said, yeah, right. Where's the other nine? Why aren't they returning to give thanks? Interesting how the Lord still healed them. Unthankful ones. The Lord healed the unthankful. That's mercy. Interesting. All right. Look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. Mark 10, verse 46. And it says, They, that's Jesus and his company, they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Notice next verse. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, you son of David, have mercy on me. Well, I'm just going to tell you the end of the true story here. The man gets totally healed of blindness. What did he ask for? What did he get? What did he ask for? Mercy. What did he get? Healing of blindness. There's healing and mercy. I said there's healing and mercy. There's times we just need to say, God, whew, I know according to my actions and my lifestyle, my old sinful nature, which is gone, praise God, I know I do not deserve healing or a miracle. But I'm believing you're good enough to give me one anyway. And it's going to help me to do even more things for you and get out of some of these things that have been binding me. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. Sometimes you just have to lay aside where you think you're at in your faith and where you think you're at in your good works and just lay all that aside and say, Jesus, have mercy on me. And just trust in His mercy. I mean, the devil will be right there a lot of times saying, you don't deserve healing. Exactly right, devil. I agree with you. But I'm getting it anyway. Oh, guys, think about this. <clears throat> it says that he cried out for mercy. And basically what he said was this. If you know the definition of mercy, I'll read it to you in just a second. The blind man said, Lord, be kind to me, though I don't deserve it. And he was. The very first definition of mercy in the Hebrew, the Old Testament, is kindness. Well, no wonder love is patient and kind. It's at the top of the list of what love is. And the scripture here is like the blind man said, Lord, be kind to me, though I don't deserve it. And the Lord was. There's something about that attitude. Even the centurion who had great faith who said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. There's something about acknowledging the fact that without you, Lord, we're all dead. Without you, we'd have nothing. Without your mercy, we'd all been gone a long time ago. The sooner we trust in the mercy of God, the quicker you're going to see healing in your body. It's not based on your perfect works. It's not based on your perfect track record. It's based on His kindness towards you. There is no disease. There is no sickness. There is no problem in your body that cannot be fixed immediately tonight if you'll just trust in the mercy of God to fix it and quit looking at you. Right? It may seem like your faith is just so weak. And if it's all up to you, you just cannot receive. But look to the Lord and quit looking at you. And the mercy of God, it will see you through. 
His mercy endures. A person not calling on God's mercy is not God saying no to heal them. Look at Philippians chapter 2. We've got a couple more scriptures and we're going to close here. Philippians chapter 2, in a very interesting scripture, in um, whatever I gave you back there, can you put them up on the screen? Philippians chapter 2, verse 26. Paul's talking about a friend of his that got sick because he worked so hard to help people. It said, For he, Ephroditus, longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he, Epaphroditus, was sick near unto death. But now notice, but God had mercy on him. What do you need if you're sick unto death? Interesting about this scripture is he, he did a very honorable thing. He worked so hard, he about worked himself to death. He had a physical breakdown. We're not supposed to do that. We're, not, we're supposed to be aware of and not violate natural laws. Our bodies have limitations right now. And you can overwork to the point to where you actually can open the door to something. A violation of a natural law can break you down and sickness can get a hold of you. And in this situation, notice how Paul said it got fixed. God had mercy on him, his sick friend. And not on him only, but on me also, because Paul is probably feeling a little bad because he was working with him and maybe he was partner to him working too much lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So, he got healed. Look at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was near unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So, he was almost dead because he had to supply a bunch of other people who were slacking off. They weren't doing their part in the church. And Epaphroditus took it upon himself to overwork, and he about died because of it. And it was connected to other people not doing their part. But God had mercy on him. And he got healed. And he got set free. Alright. One more scripture please. In Luke chapter. Actually two more. Luke 18. And then Lamentations 3. While you're turning to Luke 18. Let me give you the definition of mercy in the New Testament. You ready? Abundant compassion. And by the way. There's a scripture that says God delights in showing mercy. This is not something that we have to twist his arm to do. Like okay here's a. The Bible says he delights in showing mercy. So never, don't ever think you're imposing on the Lord and saying, Lord, I need some mercy. I've needed additional mercy in my life, and I've gotten it. That's a wonderful thing. When you receive the mercy of God in certain areas, people will wonder why God showed favoritism on you. And he didn't. It's just you trusted more in the mercy of God than some other people. Here it says... Is that mercy, uh, mercy means abundant compassion, overflowing sympathy, compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. Also, it means to be lenient or compassionate treatment, compassionate treatment of those in distress. Mercy means the discretionary power of a judge to pardon someone, an act of kindness, compassion or favor. Luke 18, look at verse 9 through 14. Jesus spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Keep going. Two men went up in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, which was known as a sinner of the day. The Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself, 
God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off, this other guy standing afar off, would not even so much as lift his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Any other way but mercy is a dead end, you guys. It takes humility to admit you need mercy, especially if you're a real good person. Last scripture, Lamentations 3. Verse 22 and 23. I quote this scripture almost every day of my life, every morning. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His mercies or compassions fail not. They're new. Those mercies and compassions are new every morning. And then the the man who wrote this just got wrapped up and said, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. So, here's the deal. I wrote this down. I put this on Facebook a while back. It's not because we fail not that we're healthy and prosperous. It's because His mercies fail not that we're healthy and prosperous. Well, that's about as good as it gets. (laughs) Right there, guys. That's the punchline. It's not because we fail not that we're not destroyed. It's because His compassions fail not. So what I suggest highly is that you trust in His mercies all the time. When you don't do so good, keep your faith in the mercy of God. When you do real good, keep your faith in the mercy of God. When you just fell flat on your face, keep your faith in the mercy of God. Don't ever go into uh, pity partyville. Don't ever go into, oh, woe is me. Don't do that. Keep your faith in the mercy of God and you'll see a miracle. Because His compassions are new every morning. His mercies are higher than the heavens are above the earth. Nobody's yet tapped the depths of the mercy of God.